That was Unusual You by Britney Spears from her sixth studio album, Circus. And it was written by today's guest, Casey Livingston, who also happened to write some big hits and great songs by other artists, including Whitney Houston, Tony Braxton, Jessica Simpson, Dream, Girlicious, Pussycat Dolls, list goes on and on. And she also happened to write two other songs for Britney Spears, which we will be talking about over the next couple of weeks. For those first-time listeners, welcome to the Original Doll Podcast. My name is James Rodriguez Horton, and I created this podcast as a love letter to all things pop and Britney Spears. What I wanted to do was shine the light on the artists and those songwriters, those producers who helped create the music, the art, the visuals of the Princess of Pop, Britney Spears. Oftentimes, it does, in fact, take a village. And here's what's great. The guests on the podcast know that when they answer questions, an item gets donated to charity. So any guest on the show, they are helping out another person in need. So we want you to enjoy. Sit back, relax. If you want to message me, have any questions, I'm on Twitter at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z, or on Instagram the.original.doll, or go old school with the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. Don't forget to like, follow, stream, share, all on all of your preferred streaming platforms. So thank you so much. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. So here we go. On with the show. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stay and then How did you get brought on to a Britney, the Britney project just in general? What did you know it was going to be? Did they say the A&R person were going this way or that way? Yeah, I mean, often we do get those briefs and there may be like multiple kind of floating around. But in this case, I had been fortunate enough to have a song uh, that I had written be you know placed on hold with her and I'm trying to backtrack in my mind like in what order I like I believe we actually recorded that with her before I wrote Unusual You but that I don't know whether that was sort of like another thing that I was doing and then also got the invitation to come to the writing camp uh, which was with Bloodshy and Avant. I know that that opportunity came through my publisher and of course my publisher Art House Entertainment is co-owned by Cara Diaguardi, who's like an immense, amazing songwriter. So often I have like the trickle down effect too, where people would be inviting her to come and participate in something. And then she would throw that opportunity very kindly to one of her writers. So I'm not sure whether they specifically were seeking me out or whether that was just something that came to Art House. Um, But it was a, a writing camp uh, that had been set up like a week-long writing camp to try to generate songs with Britney in mind. And um, so it just was, you know, show up to this writing camp at Conway Studios. Now, did you know, because at the time, because I feel like from the Blackout album to the Circus album, it was maybe a year, a year and a half, that it wasn't that long. So from the time of you getting involved until the time that the album was released, how much time actually was that for you as the songwriter? You mean like the time that we wrote the songs that, you know, were affiliated with Circus or the between Blackout and Circus? No, the, from the time that you found out that they were working on the follow up to Blackout to when Blackout oh, was actually I, out. Yeah, you know, I at the time, like that time is such a blur for me. You know, obviously, as a writer, you're always like just chasing the next song that you're writing. You're we're really addicted to these opportunities to tell our truths to tell our stories and so we're often like not tracking the time but I also had like a very 
little little one. I had a toddler who was two, and then I was actually expecting my son at the at the time too. So um, that time was really a blur because I was like writing over night and in the daytime I was like with the kids my husband would come home and you know he would take the kids and like put them to bed and I would go off and be up like for hours into the night <laughs> so I I don't I don't exactly know it everything every part of it felt like a surprise to me from like she's recording to the song to it's coming out so I I just I should have I should know that information <laughs> <laughs> no worries but did you so the, did you as a songwriter and and you know being under Cara Diaguardi, did you were you familiar with the Blackout album? Because I always wonder, do you if you would maybe not um, listen to the previous album by an artist, do you think it would help you or hurt you? Like, did you know the Blackout album uh, to kind of go? This is a reference to. They're clearly going in a different direction because they're not trying to duplicate it. Yeah, I, and I know that Kara had worked with Brittany and, and pitched records also to her as well. But I, I think I wasn't thinking in terms, you know, it's, it's some people love to listen to everything an artist has done to kind of like try to ch channel them and write for them or write with them. Other people are purists and they just want it to come from a new organic place without any reference. And I'm kind of like hit or miss in, in that regard. But, I, you know, I, I think you know, with Brittany going into the writing camp, you're just thinking about the edginess of her records, how avant-garde so many of them have been. And so without really referencing a specific record, I was just thinking about like, what can we talk about that she hasn't talked about yet? So I, yeah, I wasn't, I, I ended up hearing more of Blackout, I think after, after that, and just kind of became aware of, you know, because I was, about to become a, a song on there that wasn't necessarily like a, a huge single, but it, you become more aware of like her taste and also her A&R's taste in selecting these amazing songs that you might not hear on the radio, but they're really these kind of exquisite uh, works of art. And and so then how do you, I mean, at the time, because if they said, okay, Bloodshine Avant, there's this writing camp do they say, we already know this is the lead single. We already know these are on the album. This is, you know, because if they said, hey, we already have five ballads, we're not looking for any ballads. You know what I mean? Because they're not trying to fill up any pop album with 10 ballads, especially in 2007, 2008, 2009. So did you get a taste of any of the songs that were going to be on the album before you finished writing, you know, the, the two that you had worked on? Yeah, I well, I think what since Amnesia was chronologically first, like I really, I mean, I it's interesting because I had had a song come out uh, with Pussycat Dolls in between being signed to Warner Chapel, who I'm eternally grateful for. They and and the iconic producer David Foster just scooped me up. They, you know, my dad was very kind to introduce me to them, and they. I mean, I had no demos. I had nothing going on, and then I had a hit with Pussycat Dolls after Warner had to kind of have a sudden changeover in their roster, and I was in a large group that got dropped. And then when I got picked up with Art House, there, you know, I started writing with Kara, and then she had found out that I wasn't in a publishing deal, and it was like my dream come true that she asked if I'd be interested in working with her. And their approach, I think, because they had a smaller roster and they were kind of pursuing a new business model. And also Kara as a songwriter really knows about how important it is to be prolific and get out on a lot of projects. They took this hands-on of like, we're going to have a schedule for you. We're going to send you to these opportunities if you want to, if you want to do them. So they found out about this writing camp, but I didn't really know a whole lot more than that because I, I was new to art house also. And I wasn't used to that, you know, sort of like really being on the inside, you know, Kara writes with artists all the time because she's an unbelievable singer. I'm kind of an awkward singer and kind of an awkward person. So I was writing songs and Warner Chapel was pitching them. And, and when I came onto Art House's roster, they really, I mean, I had a schedule every day, sometimes two and three different sessions, but I didn't get a brief about the Britney record at all. You know, when I wrote Amnesia, I had really no 
sense of any hope of like how to get on a project like that, even though I'd had a relatively big song come out before that, because I, you know, not that I am now like any type of brand or household name, but I think I was much more in the shadows of like where you wouldn't necessarily say, you know, that you, that someone would say my name and people in that circle would know that I was a writer. So they basically just said, Hey, there's a writing camp we want you to go to. And I think that's about the extent of it. And they themselves might not have known that much about all of the parameters as well. So then when you, because I mean, you worked with Eden's crush dream, girlicious, Jessica Simpson, Emma Roberts, uh, and so many people leading up to that, did that really kind of give you at least an edge of going, okay, I can, I can work in this pop realm, this, this really unabashedly pop music, because I feel like sometimes writers are like, ah, I don't want a song affiliated with a pop star because it might not be taken so seriously, but you had a huge hit with like stick with you, like pussycat dolls. And it's, There's something about pop stars, especially when they choose to do a ballad, that there's a specific reason why that's on the album. So did you look at it any differently from writing a ballad for, you know, a a global pop star than you would if it was going to be a ballad for an indie artist or a country artist? Yeah, I mean, I've always appreciated the sort of like, ability of songwriters to be chameleons that were were not necessarily in the spotlight if we're not an artist so I I really when Shania Twain came out I was really interested in country music and sort of like country pop and you know probably before any of that happened like my big goal would have been like to meet Bonnie Raitt and and do a song with her like love Bonnie Raitt and Joni Mitchell so it's always kind of shocking that like at this point in my life to be working with like really young pop artists but I think you're you know what you write is something that's sort of like a product of your time and you can't necessarily say I'm going to be this type of writer. Like you have to write what is your truth and other things determine what genre it falls into, the artist that selects it, the production that goes on it. So like, I think the approach to writing for Britney wasn't necessarily like an intentional, like I have to write the style beyond that sort of idea of let's try to be edgy, which as I've learned that very seldom works unless you're being edgy because you're telling your truth. You're telling an honest emotional story that happens to be edgy. Um, But yeah. And especially with unusual you, that was probably the least intentional of all that just kind of like came out of me as like a venting session basically. And I was shocked that she was interested in recording it, even though it was written at the end of that camp. (laughs) Well, and so that's something. So you had already had Britney cut Amnesia before Unusual You was even in contention or even created, I assume then, right? Um, yes, I believe. I know that Amnesia was written before Unusual You, and I'm pretty sure that we, even though she didn't immediately come into the studio to record it, I'm pretty sure that that had been done probably just prior to going to the writing camp but even then I was terrified to go to the writing camp because I still felt like I had no business working with these cool people or a cool artist you know (laughs) it's like that imposter syndrome that everyone talks about where they're like oh this is the moment where somebody's going to realize I don't belong here Uh, but you do but it must have felt great though (laughs) well and it must have felt great though to actually hear your words saying by by Britney just in general like it's got to feel you know good to you to go a a, a top tiered recording artist has chosen to take the time to get into the studio because there are tons of great songs all the time but for to get to the point where the artist is in the booth that's something completely different and we'll talk more about amnesia um 
in the next episode. But so unusual you, because we have so many, we have so many songs to talk about. I love this. Okay, so kind of explain how unusual you came to you. Was the track done first? Were you writing? How did that work for you specific to this song? Yeah, so I'm trying to like, how can I put this in a nutshell? Um, well, so when I found out about the writing camp, it, and I hadn't really done a whole lot of writing camps like up to that point. And sometimes when you say that people are like, oh, is it like a, like a summer camp? It's more like a one week or two week thing that's put together, can be put together by a label, by a publisher, by a management, by any entity that like seeks to sort of benefit from songs being generated for an artist. So it could be a publisher that wants their writers to get songs on the artist. It could be a label that's looking for songs for the artist and they collaborate and figure out who's gonna like foot the bill for the studios and things. And so this was specifically like a Britney writing camp for a week. And I think I'd mentioned it to Conway Studios. And so, it's so funny because I, you know, I'm such an insecure person. And so every day, like you said, that imposter syndrome is something that we sort of like, every day is sort of that, like, is the, is the curtain going to be in the disguise going to be pulled off like on this day? Um, and so I wasn't even sure if I felt like I should do a writing camp. I didn't know if Brittany was going to be there. Sometimes the artist is, sometimes they're not. Um, and then in the middle of my insecurity and another session just prior to that, someone showed me a picture of Bloodshy that was online, I guess that they found um, because he's an artist and he looked so cool. <laughs> he just like had this cool haircut, this cool facial expression. And I just almost didn't go because I just, not that I'm afraid I'm going to be like bullied or something like that, but I just, I have a phobia about wasting people's time and also about like, here I am rambling on your podcast, but um, about, you know, generating a song that they won't like. And it, and so that's wasted their time or creating discomfort for them that there's a song that they're supposed to produce and they don't like the top line. But somehow I just, I know sometimes having a publisher really helps because if you're insecure, you feel like you feel like I should take hold of this opportunity because they gave it to me. And if something good comes of it, we'll both benefit. So that subverted my insecurity enough to go to the camp. And I go to this Conway Studios, which is kind of decorated like a, a tropical resort or something like that. It's built into this residential area in Hollywood. And I just, later as I ended up doing more sessions there, you know, I'd see a dad and his son playing soccer in the street right outside. And I would wonder, like, do they know that like the world's most iconic pop superstars are in this building together recording right now? Um, but I believe that writing camp might've been my first or second time going there. So I really didn't know my way around. And I, you know, go in through the guard and, and find my way to the studio where we're supposed to be. And I thought maybe I would open the door and there would be like a rave going on in there or something with these like blood giant Avant. They're so cool. They did toxic, they did piece of me. Um, and I opened the door and it was very quiet in there. And these two soft-spoken well-mannered Swedish guys are in there and they're like oh hello you know as I'm like walking in they probably don't have as pronounced of a Swedish accent but I was just so thrown and I and I go in there and I sit down there's like a little couch there and I don't know that I knew that I was going to be placed with another writer but I was placed with Frankie Storm who is not only cool but a goddess and an incredible writer who had had hits uh, prior to that to that camp and so we're just sitting there and talking on the couch and one of the funny things I'd heard in another session another co-writer told me that someone else that was telling him what to look for when he met me he they said the person told them when you meet her it's kind of like you think she might be like a nursery school teacher but she's a songwriter and trust me she's dope and I thought like this is like one of the coolest best compliments I've ever gotten and a testament to the fact that we don't always look like our songs you know and we don't always look like our jobs and so we were sitting there on the couch chatting and they they never asked me who I was or what I was doing there. I assumed they knew. And somehow it came about that, that they didn't know I was the songwriter that was coming to work with them that day. I think because I probably looked like I was there to collect their overdue library books or something like that. So 
then we had a little bit of a laugh about that and then we started <laughs> we started to write a song we, <laughs> no it's those are the great bonding moments when you're like remember how we thought we did are you the artist mom like i don't know um and of course you know they would know that i wasn't britney spears's mom probably but maybe like a relative um but they were so polite to me anyway and so they started playing us some tracks and frankie storm had a great title which was emotion sickness and so this is the first song in the camp on the first day that I was there that we started working and she had she started with a verse and her voice is amazing and her writing is amazing and I of course was feeling very shy but I'm often crafting ideas in my head for the next part that I want to like contribute during a co-write and so I very, you know, I was working up, psyching myself up to do it. And I showed, I sang this pre-chorus idea and Frankie did this unbelievably adorable thing, which sometimes songwriters, we do this to each other to kind of like help, help ourselves with our insecurity and our ego. And she pretended to slide out of, you know, like consciousness and pass out on the couch. And I was like, kind of looking for like what's happening. And then she sat back up and she said, I never thought your singing voice would be like that. Like I just, I just almost passed out from shock. Uh -huh. We also don't look like our voices. I have kind of like a bizarrely androgynous, but I guess has become somewhat soulful kind of a voice because I'm always imitating artists and trying to channel them to write songs. Um, and so that really helped my confidence just to have that dynamic with her at the start. And then, so we finished that song and she recorded the demo vocal it didn't end up ultimately going on the album and then i wrote another top line on my own which is called compete which is kind of like a bizarre song that i don't think has ever like been leaked anywhere online but i i quite liked it and i recorded it uh, with them and then we had a do you get i have a question for you though when you do that when you write these things who ultimately gets that that copy of it, or who gets the files of it is it just like bloodshine avant where like no we you can never have these, or do you actually get access? Because I always wonder that because it's a part of your collaboration and maybe it's something you could use and clearly they would get credit on later. Who ultimately, when you do something like that, controls who has access to it? Yeah, I mean, I think I had my original demo somewhere. I Maybe Art House has it. I, I think I tried to look for it in my emails once. And I couldn't find it because I'm so disorganized with all of my like songs. They're just all floating out there in scattered different locations. You know, sometimes songwriters and producers are at odds because both are wanting to sort of be like, you know, the, a little bit the controllers of their sound. And when you've written a top line to a track, Ultimately, the producer really kind of controls ownership of it because they become really like major players in pop songwriting, and many genres of, of songwriting. Um, and the songwriters are sometimes frustrated because maybe their top line isn't the chosen one by the producers. They can still shop that track around. But, you know, I, I feel like more for me, more out of like respect, I wouldn't try to get a song placed on an artist if the producer wasn't on board with pitching it. And the producers are often the ones who are pitching it themselves. And I really appreciate that. They're getting artists to come in and record with them. But when it's a writing camp, you know, sometimes it's sort of like an honor agreement. Other times it's an actual NDA that you're signing to not talk about what's gone on um, in the camp. But there's a sense of sort of respecting the people who have paid for the studio time by not trying to extract that song. Of course, you probably could if in two years that artist is not interested in the song. But by then, you've usually moved on and generated a lot more songs. So you might have forgotten those. So there, technically, it's a shared ownership, but there is often like a, a mutual respect about not just pitching it to whoever you want to. So how did Unusual You come to be ultimately like a ballad? Because if you're just, let's say if you're just writing, you go, well, it could theoretically be, because I feel like the actual demo of it has a different sound production-wise than the actual released one. And 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 so I wanted to kind of see if you could talk about that. Like, at what point do you go, yeah, it'll be a ballad? Or when do you switch and go, it might not be a ballad? Yeah, well, 
I'm not sure because periodically people have said like, oh, I found this online. Did you know this was on here? And it's some incarnation and iteration of like a song that I've written with production elements that either I don't recognize or I don't remember. And so different people have access to these tracks along the way. Obviously, if it's something that's come out on a big artist, some people who have had access to it along the way might become more interested in releasing it to the public. And I don't really know who has like leaked those things. Or sometimes it's even the people that are writing it that want to kind of just give fans another look at a part of the process. But um, yeah, for, for that one, what I suspect, if it's the one that I, someone told me about that you're talking about, I think it might be the original track that they created with my demo vocal that was initially recorded. Maybe somebody else that wasn't even a part of it added another loop onto it or something like that. But I just, I, you forget sometimes the original track, what it sounds like until you hear it again in some leaked version. One of the people who I think was most instrumental in creating the instruments of that track and probably why it's sonically like a bit maybe left of what Blood China Bond usually do is they, they worked on it with Henrik Jonebeck. And I think that he was sort of like one of the motivating forces in, you know, the harmonic progression and the instrumentation and played certain parts. And, and but this version of it, it feels to me very different than like what I originally wrote to. I think what I originally wrote to felt a little bit more organic and more sort of like intimate in a certain way. I know that's not very good production vocabulary, but as I'm trying to recall, I think I found more guitar. Well, and the cool thing is I think what you brought up is an interesting point because I think a lot of times, I mean, there are so many talented people out there that I think sometimes they'll take, oh, here's the, the acapella track. Let me create my own version of this accompanying track or let me add a little something different to make it sound like a demo but the good thing is we know that's your voice and it's fantastic <laughs> it would have been awkward if i was like i love your voice and then I, you're like that's not my voice <laughs> well and the thing is i always feel like britney ballads always hold a special place in the heart of her fans because you always feel like you're getting more insight so talk a little bit about the the inspiration, you know, because sometimes people are like, I saw a plastic, some people are like, I saw a plastic bag and I wrote a song about a plastic bag, you know, um, but it's at times it's true. And at times it could be the autobiographical where you're like, some people are like, I was going through something and this kind of came out. And I kind of want to go over, you know, after you talk a little bit about that, some of the lyrics in there, because I think the the listeners, and I know me as a fan, some of the lyrics just hit really hard. It was like, I felt like that was Britney really coming out of the blackout era and mm -hmm. giving you an insight to who, cause you really never heard, oh, unusual you. Oh, you're so unusual. Like you hear like, she's so unusual, Cindy Lauper back in, you know, but you don't really hear that in a, a ballad. So talk a little bit about the inspiration yeah, I mean, there was really so little intentionality going into it, like, but it was very much, I really believe, even though, you know, when we're writing things, we're not necessarily thinking about, I've got to write about this specifically, at least not me. It's, it's usually, I want to write about this, and then your inspiration takes you elsewhere completely. But I know that now in retrospect, and I think I kind of figured it out midway through writing the song, that the inspiration was largely sort of like a, a difficult time that I've been going through. I tend to, I love, I just love to write, you know, and I tend, my energy tends to magnetically draw people who also love to write, but who are much more business savvy and sometimes more aggressive, which I've benefited from because they're often the ones that are taking meetings and the things that I'm too shy or too awkward 
to do. I feel like they'll meet me and be like, oh no, we don't want this song. She's too weird. Um, but ultimately it's a yin and yang that can, can combust because I want to do a lot of the writing and I, but I want everybody to have their fair share. And sometimes when people are wired, like a little bit more business savvy and aggressive, not, not negatively aggressive, just try, you know, trying to get songs out there, that aggression, it can turn on to the person who's sort of the lesser in that dynamic. And that can cause these things to kind of unravel. So I had just gone through sort of like one or two pretty like sort of life altering experiences, like kind of protracted things where I was really like, you know, insecure. I was questioning my own self, you know, when something goes down and later you're thinking like, did, was I at fault? Like, how, like what even happened there? Ultimately it ended up being good because it kind of shook me out of some, you know, not ruts, but like sort of like grooves that I was in where I needed to kind of expand a little bit. But that week, you know, meeting Blochine Avant and Henrik Jonebeck, like if there ever was a week that was going to cause you to be insecure, that was definitely the week for it because they're as lovely as they are. They are so, I mean, they're, you know, their songs speak for themselves. And at that, during that week also, like I, you know, you'd go into the kitchen and like Queen Latifah would be there, a little mama, this rapper that had like started to splash onto the scene. I walked by, you know, Claude Kelly and the Dr. Luke camp were there like working. I heard the original chorus of Circus and it was so catchy. I still remember it, but it's just a testament to how catchy Circus is because they beat that chorus that was already so catchy. And that was just like the studio door was open and I walked by and at the time, you know, this was prior to a lot of the things happening in Chris Brown's life that be, were very dramatic, obviously, after that. But he is one of my all-time favorite pop vocalists, like that sound. Every demo I sing, you can hear me trying to be Chris Brown, basically. If he had, like, a much less talented uh, female cousin. <laughs> and so, when um, he was there at the studio working with a, a wonderful writer named Andre Merritt. So, that was definitely a week for me to feel insecure. And yet everybody the whole week long had been so kind. And here I was expecting Bloodshine Avant to be these two cool for school guys that would never even affiliate with someone like me. And instead they were so loving and so supportive to my ideas and my you know, creativity. And so that last day of the writing camp, I still had a couple tracks like, in my possession. And I showed up thinking that two other writers that I had just written with, Frankie being one of them, um, were going to be there. And there was some mis misunderstanding, something that happened. Um, and so I kind of was sitting in my car waiting for like which studio to go to and found out from my publisher that I was just on my own to write that day on the last day. And I think I was about five months pregnant with my son, which I always feel like the universe brings you amazing things when you're when you're expecting. Um, not, not saying that everyone should immediately get pregnant if they're trying to write songs. But, Listeners, but, please listen to that. Listeners, please listen to that. I'm not a medical doctor. I can't. Uh, the views and opinions on this podcast. <laughs> might have to have a lot of disclaimers going on <laughs> but um yeah so it seems like the universe really conspires in your favor when new life is about to come into your world um so I sat there in my car and I had these tracks and I was like I'm just gonna listen to one of them and see if I get an idea again I never want to waste a producer's time so often I'm asking for tracks in advance if the producer will be kind enough to give them to me so I can try to generate an idea because I'm shy. And when I'm face to face, I might not come up with that, but in my car, that's probably the place that I will. And so I found this track and thank God I didn't know that there was another like huge writer that was also <laughs> working on the same track because I wouldn't have even started. I wouldn't have imagined uh, ever wanting to go head to head with them. And I started and the verse just like poured out of me. It, it's a love note to Bloodshine Avant and Henrik Jonebeck for their just kind of like 
taking who they are and what they've done and still supporting someone they've never met, this sort of like awkward person and, and really focusing on the music and appreciating what someone can do subtracted from all of those other sort of superficial things. And it's sort of a discussion about like where I had been and questioning myself and sort of like wondering, because it's a very personal relationship when you write with people and you have to have that trust because you're going to very vulnerable places revealing your truth being evaluated constantly for your ideas um and so I had about half of it and then it was time for me to show up to my session I'm never early for any sessions because I'm always so anxious about having to uh-huh. have an idea when I show up so it was very rare for me to get there ahead of time but there was a misconception about the time and about who was going to be there writing with me. And so I started to write the chorus as I walked from my car into Conway Studios. And I passed Chris Brown on my way there. This artist whose vocals I've been emulating forever. And it didn't register until later that that's what happened because the chorus was coming to me in that moment. And I walked in and I was not it was such a low-key bizarre idea I thought I was writing like the b minus version of like that song uh and I miss you like the deserts miss the rain if you remember that like enormous hit from everything but the girl missing written like yes yes thank you for remembering that So I didn't really know, I was almost not even going to sort of show them, thank thank goodness, I'm like, what, what was that artist? So yeah, everything but the girl. But I just went out on a limb and I showed them, I was like, I have this idea. And they were so enthusiastic. They were like, we love that. We love that. And I went into another room, like a little room off the kitchen and finished writing and I wrote the second verse. Been so many things when I was someone else, boxer in the ring, trying to defend and then I recorded it that day but the pre-chorus melody was different and they melodined a different melody which is what it became now and they added all those really cool overtone harmonies and things because I stacked vocals but they're different than what they ended up creating like they created this different vocal landscape So it's amazing because after this whole week of trying to write edgy songs for Britney, this thing that was such a genuine story that I kind of couldn't stop from, you know, like occurring to me and coming out of me was ultimately the thing that resonated with Britney the most. So I'm, it's definitely a testament to write your truth, you know, write your, write your real story that nobody else can really tell for you, but also a testament to whatever things she was going through that she and her camp felt like this is our ballad or our like sort of slow mid for for this record i i was shocked <laughs> well and that's one of those things where it's like you know you look at it and you go okay i i just put my heart out there it's great and it's one of those things where that could be a great song the producer could like it but then you could also have an artist that's not feeling it and when they sing it you're just not getting it but it seems like this was yeah. the perfect timing that the song found a home and and without Britney even writing on it, it felt so genuine. And when you talked about the, the vocal layers, that's something I want to talk about because on here, on Unusual You, like something I've talked about in previous episodes is how, especially songwriters, many times you can hear the songwriters throughout the song. And Britney Spears has made reference of like, you know, I use this reference vocals, I use this. So can you explain to the listeners about how, because I think people think, oh, it should be easy. 
Britney Spears can do the the main part and then she could do her own harmonies and then she could do this and do that. And it's, there's, there's no, there's there, not saying that there's no artist, but it creates a different sound. So can you explain yeah. to the listeners, because the ballad, it's so touching. And I think the vocals are important because if the vocals distracted, it would have ruined the song. So can you talk to the listeners about how that works? Like why sometimes you have the songwriters that are on there, like where you can hear the vocals and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are obviously demo vocalists, you know, that get paid to come and sing a song that they didn't write to show the artist how it goes. Like if the songwriters within their, you know, their group feel like there's no one there that can actually execute the vocal, you know, the idea is you want to give the feeling for the song. You want to show cool runs and things that you can do, but you don't want to be so intimidating to the vocalist. So you, and that's why my voice has ended up, I think, being sometimes a good contender for demos because I'm not intimidating anybody. I'm just like singing, you know, with passion, but not with a lot of skill, you know. Um, and thank goodness for like all of the studio you know gear and things that can help a flawed voice like mine be able you know it it enables you to tell the story that you have the passion to tell but not the skill and kind of alters and makes those things more palatable but when you're a writer obviously your goal is for the song to come out and and be in the world on the artist whether it's an artist that you are writing with or an artist that you're surprisingly find you know find out that they've picked up your song and they want to record it and so you know it not only that but it's really fun to create a demo vocal and then stack harmonies and things i that's my one of my favorite part of the of the process is that you you know you get to really show your vision coming to life by layering endless backgrounds as many as you want to and some artists obviously like want to do all their own backgrounds and a lot of times those are the artists that actually write everything for themselves or co-write everything but other artists like like my voice is very neutral you can hear it featured very prominently in unusual you both like under the lead and in the backgrounds and it kind of creates this soft neutral bed so that a voice that is as signature as Britney Spears can exist kind of on this bed of support and I know that she's capable of doing backgrounds and I'm sure that she has done those on other records where you know I haven't seen it going down but her voice is so recognizable that I think sometimes she isn't chosen to do her own backgrounds because it would be a little crazy making for the listener. Like your ear just goes to her tone when you're hearing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why producers sometimes will either have someone else do backgrounds or it's just to create a different effect, like get some male vo vocals in there, some sort of like robotic sounding, you know, vocals in there just for effect. Um, so it's not necessarily that the artist is like, I can't do these backgrounds or I don't have time. Although Britney's schedule, especially at the time was like, <laughs> you'd have to clone yourself almost like to, to, you know, prepare to perform and dance and outfits and writing and like childcare, all the things she was juggling. So in that case, they just ended up as they often do, keeping a lot of the background vocals that were already stacked because it didn't interfere with her ability to have a lead vocal on there kind of shining and standing out. But of course, when I heard it the first time, I like heard a lot of myself in there and I was like, I want to hear more Britney on this. Like <laughs> I'm, you know, when you're a writer that sometimes things your demos your ear can kind of find your tone even buried in things because you're so familiar with it mm -hmm. so I don't know if other people are having that effect but when I hear it I hear a lot of myself and I always long to hear more of her but I understand now as time has gone by why that choice is made it's supporting and like thickening up her tone a bit you know so it's I, I understand why that went down the way it did <laughs> And I love that you talked about that neutral bed, because I think that's the point where even in a music video, there are these lights, these, you know, certain lenses and everything to kind of shine and help her shine. And I think people take for granted the audio aspect of it, that if you had a million Britney levels, to your point, your ears like, wait, am I listening to, 
it's it it becomes a little distracting and there's a lot of Britney's which we love that but I also think that's what makes Britney's voice shine when it's in kind of that chorus but she's right there and amidst all amidst all those voices you hear her you hear the reason why she's a recording artist and with unusual you I think if you took it back I don't think it would be as atmospheric because I always think of unusual you as this atmosphere, like whether it's this forest that you're just going through of these really creating an experience for you as the listener. And I think you did that and I think you did it well. And so when, when you had this happen, were, was, were you ever in the studio with her for this song? Cause we'll talk about the other songs. So for the listeners, don't worry, we're going to be talking about some more uh, songs and, and experiences. So were you at all in the the studio with her for any of this? Did you get to hear the studio version afterwards, you know, after she was done? So, like, I think I got to hear sort of like a working version of her vocal of it, but I wasn't in the studio. And actually, when I saw Bloodshy and Yvonne and Henrik later on, they expressed to me that I think at that point in the recording, a lot of records had she'd already recorded. And so I think there was like a timing element of trying to get it done in time to make it on the record. And I'm not actually, I'm trying to remember now, it's possible that it might've been like a different engineer that actually captured her vocal. And because when they saw me, they apologized. They said, you know, we ended up loving the song so much. And I wish that we had had more time with Britney to like capture even more vocals and do more of because they're vocal producing masters. And so they, you know, they had wanted to have more time. But I think, you know, the producer is limited by the amount of time they have with the artist and the amount of time before the records have to be turned in. And so I think more would have been done with it. But I have been in the studio watching her record a vocal on Amnesia, which is sort of like my first like experience, like having worked with her. And then later on is sort of like randomly a vocal coach on a song that I, I didn't write. So I've had two opportunities to see her recording uh, Ooh, what was the second song that you were kind of vocal coaching? So this this is a funny story in and of itself. But Love it. There's a section of Spanish in a song which I think is called No Seas Cortez, which is yes. do you know the change your mind. Yep. Cross the line, but I'ma make you change your mind. I'ma make you change your mind. You don't wanna cross the line, but I'ma make you change your mind. Okay, so I and a amazing from the Glory album, the Glory. Well done, James. Oh my gosh. All like I said, all of this to me is a blur. Like, how do I even get this gig? And I love it that you know all these things. You'll you'll help me remember all the parameters as the time goes on. <laughs> Thank you, James. But yeah, so this, so uh, a wonderful writer and vocal producer friend of mine who goes by the name Mishka. Um, he's so fabulous that he, even though he is an incredible writer. He's often sought after to vocal produce artists because he's also just so great at it. And so he called me up when I was in a grocery store one day and was like, you're fluent in Spanish, right? And I was like, kind of, it's my husband's native language. So I've been learning it for like 20 years, but it's still like a lot of gaps there. And what he, he was gonna have to record some spoken Spanish of Britney, he couldn't even tell me who the writer was, although I suspected it was Julia Michaels and I ended up being correct that I believe that's Julia and Justin on that record. And so he said that we, he, there was an opportunity for him to fly to Las Vegas and record it with her, the Spanish. And just, you know, I'm trying to explain to him on the flight there, like different pronunciation things, me that's like not a native speaker, like, that's still kind of like scrambling for how to say things. Um, and so I, so we did, we 
we just recorded that uh, at the Palms one day, and like when she had her residency there. So that was the place to go to try to capture a little bit of, of that vocal. Even though if I'm not mistaken, I believe in the final version, it went back to the sort of like, there's sort of like a generic female voice that is saying it. And ultimately they went back to that choice, but it was another opportunity to watch her at work. That's amazing. Did you did you get to say, hey, you recorded three of my songs? Like that's what I would do. I'd be like, uh, although I might. I might mess up and be like, I wrote the song. And it's like, wait, no, that was the Tony Braxton song you did. Wait, no, that was the Whitney Houston. Like going through the Rolodex of all the songs that you've had, you're like, no, that was Jessica Simpson. Oh, no, that was, it's, it's just like going through your mind. But how did, well, and that, I think that's something that a lot of people that you you brought up and a lot of people don't realize is the time that you have with them, because I know Blackout was really the first album where she didn't have a tour. Usually you're prepping the new album while, while the artist is finishing up the previous world tour so that you can kind of get a turnaround. With Britney yeah. being in Vegas, she, she was only in Vegas for a certain amount of time per week, per day, whatever it is. And that just because the artist is there doesn't mean the two hours that she spent there are two hours that are usable. Or they just decide... It's done. Yeah. yeah, I mean, their lives are so full. And I'm like, I mean, it's definitely in your wiring. Like now when I meet up and coming people and they're they're interested in like the visuals and things for their artistry, I know like that's an artist wiring. And I don't really know how they manage like all, like all the balls in the air at all times. I'm so thankful that they do because they really become the face and the sort of marketing for our songs, which are just our sort of like quiet stories that we tell as we're like recording. I'm just so thankful that their that their wiring affords them. And I know it's stressful for them. So yeah. It, that's it's a life I can't even begin to comprehend but yeah she shows up to the studio and I you know I wanted on the one hand I wanted to say thank you so much for like for recording these songs of mine like you've made an unbelievable difference in my career and my life but at the same time I know that she needs I can't even like an in, in, incalculable available. I can't even say that. I promise I'm not drunk. Um, <laughs> I don't think so at least, but um, amount of people. And I didn't want to put her in that awkward position of even trying to remember who I was because we'd only been in the studio one time before and I was super pregnant uh, at the time with my like awkward maternity top. Um, and so I, I didn't go there, but when she was looking at me and I was kind of trying to explain to her like the pronunciation, everything, there was the sparkle of her knowing that she had interacted with me in the past, but I didn't bring it up. I didn't want to stress uh -huh. her out. I was like, I'm focused on this job at, at the time, you know, for the, for the venture, for everyone, for the good of all kind of. Well, and what I've loved is everyone that I've talked to from, you know, music producers, remix producers, engineer, all, all aspects, even people that were like the janitor, let's say at Battery Studios, you know, I'm just throwing it out there, that everyone was like, she was always kind and sweet, that she was never demanding, that she was never unprofessional, that she would go in, do her job, listen, go like do her part, that it was never a you all are here and you're going to do what I say. Like that no one has ever said in my experience of their experience that it was a, a terrible experience, you know? Yeah. Any, like anything, is, if you're me, anything that might be terrible about it is your own sort of like, you can't believe that you're like in the room with that person and you have to try to look like a professional and not be weird. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. she's very like, she is she's very easygoing and low-key and in my experiences with her 
not acting like a diva at all, but she's very focused because she knows that she has to like do that job. And then there's probably 150 other things waiting for her to do. And so you're not like chatting and, you know, talking about what you did, you know, last Thursday or whatever, but you don't get the vibe. She's never unkind. And really witnessing her record vocals kind of enlightened me to something that I didn't realize, which is that when you're, when you're a songwriter, at, at least pretty much everyone I've ever met, or doing anything creative. Maybe you're like a salesperson and you're, you've got a brilliant way of like creating your pitch. There's a zone you go into when that's the thing that you're supposed to be doing on this planet probably. Um, and with writing, it's, it's either zone or not for me. Either I'm, an entire song is coming to me in five minutes or no song is coming to me all day because I'm not in that zone. And I realized and since then, I've seen this with a few other artists, that there is not just for performing like in a big crowd, but for going into like performance mode when they're recording vocals, a zone for artists. Whereas when you're the writer, you go from not having any ideas to suddenly a whole song. They can go from not really like initially starting to sing a song and not necessarily like getting the pocket right or getting the notes right to suddenly snapping into laser focus and it's like they wrote the song and that is what happened with Brittany both times and I know because when she was recording Amnesia my vocal the, that producer didn't particularly love using auto-tune so my vocal is out of tune and tremendously sharp and she started kind of learning it along with the reference vocal. And then she started recording it. She's singing along with my sharp vocal, but she's singing in tune, fighting nice. this dissonance that's happening <laughs> between my pitfall. And I was amazed. It, it, it really is a zone thing that happened. And then the same thing happened for the Las Vegas recording session too, where suddenly she could pronounce Spanish like perfectly. It, it, was, it was amazing. <laughs> well, and I think what you, what you said is, is truly important and shouldn't be lost is there's always the discussion of Britney Spears as a recording artist who doesn't have a, a great voice, doesn't have this. There's so much that goes into, in, into that. And it's kind of, it's it's annoying for me as a fan because I like her voice. I like what she does. What she does is what she does. She is, you know, we look at Amy Winehouse, you look at Elvis Presley, you look at all these people and go, they all have distinct tones and you undeniably know that it is their voice. But she also is somebody who trained so early on with music. She knows pitch. She knows those those things. And it's like when you're in a choir and if that one person is doing a tight harmony with you, you have to work extra hard to not make sure you're going into their lane of singing those notes. So for her to go, I can hear what you're singing, but I know I need to be here. That's a talent. That takes a lot of work. So yeah, I don't think I would be able to do that because the zone for me isn't necessarily about I mean, it could be about executing my own vocal, but it's because I'm telling the story of the song. It's not because I'm like imagining that I'm performing for anybody else. But yeah, obviously there are the videos of her performing as a, as a kid that are definitely the proof of like her singing ability. Um, but yeah, her mixed in with, I think the signature quality of her tone is something that I found like after these like decades in the music industry and meeting so many people who wanted to be singers and practiced all the time and meeting people who are sort of like people like me, who I never thought I'd have vocals that are sort of out there on songs that I'd written as like a part of the master that happens and other people that want to be writers and don't want to be singers and their vocal gets out there and suddenly like like they are hugely famous and they never even wanted to be a singer to begin with. And I think that quality maybe is believability when people sing, because obviously like if a voice doesn't sound good at all, then you're, it's going to be hard to listen to, but there's a lot of people out there who can, who are vocal gymnasts. They can do all these amazing like runs and things. But when you hear Brittany, you know, love her, 
don't love her, there's something in you that feels like she's living that story, even if she didn't necessarily write that story. And other people can emote and do so much. And yet, at the end of the day, it doesn't get inside you, you know, into the chambers where you're like, I'm connecting with that artist. I believe the story that they're telling me. And that is the quality that you cannot manufacture with equipment or anything else. You can get close, but to make it something that people are interested in listening to and that they can identify after just a few notes, that's, that's one of the rare qualities that I think Brittany has that has made her, you know, such an icon. So for unusual you, as we wrap up this part, for the listeners, don't worry, we have tons more coming up because Cassia has a bunch of stories, <laughs> songs, everything. Um, so, you, you know, there's more. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I love it. But so how did you feel when you, because so we now know how the story, how the song came to be. Where were you at when you heard that it was going to be on the album? Like, how was this like right away you knew? Or was this like, oh, wait, you get a call from a fan that says, hey, by the way, your song is on there? Because that's the way it's been lately. <laughs> so. Yeah, if it's, yeah, if it's released already, it, like if it's a song that's being used for a new thing besides like its original release, sometimes like I think I was telling you, a student told me like, hey, you have a song on Hustlers. And I was like, I do. Because it's some, you know, you don't always have to get the songwriter's permission and that's fine with me. I'm so appreciative for the forces that like will create more revenue for me, allow me to do the job I love longer by like making those things happen. But I actually with Unusual You, I didn't actually get to even finish out recording the record with Bloodshine Avant and, and Henrik Jonebeck because that was the last day that they were in town. They left. I think it was like a Thursday or a Friday, but they asked me to stay. At, they were catching a plane and they asked me to stay. And so I stayed and recorded with a lovely engineer that was there at Conway. Um, the second verse back the harmonies and everything I followed their new guideline for how they wanted to um, make the pre-chorus go which I can't even totally totally remember my so I don't know if if they would have cre like credited the engineer at Conway and I feel terrible because there are two different ones that were recorded vocals with me in and around that time and I can't remember which one captured which vocal I don't know if they're even like still working at, at Conway um, at this point but they were very kind to kind of stay after hours. And like, I think I mentioned, I was like several months pregnant with my son. And I think um, Chris Brown was still there recording with my friend, songwriter Andre. And that night I finished recording at like midnight or one, which if anyone who's ever been pregnant knows that you're really tired at that point. And everyone was gathered in the kitchen because I was just recording in a room off the kitchen. And a bunch of engineers had gathered there and they said, I'm so sorry, you can't leave the studio right now. And I was like, what? There had been gunshots in the area. The police had actually like mistakenly been sort of questioning people coming out of Conway because it had been so close to the studio. And so then I happened to bump into Andre Merritt, who knows I was such a huge fan of Chris Brown's vocals. So after the recording of that, I was like in Chris Brown's studio, Andre took me over there, like listening to what he was working on for like an hour or so, because we were basically all trapped there. So it was, I know Chris Brown's very controversial, but I, I love his vocals. And that was before so many things happened uh, with him. And I really appreciated having that chance, but it's like, you know, you're recording this really sweet, honest story. And then this craziness is unfolding around the studio. Um, but a bit of time went by after that before finding out. And how I found out was that I, had, I was maybe like eight months pregnant at this time. And I took my daughter to one of those indoor playgrounds where there are little slides and carpeted areas that they can play. And this was like, I think, before I even had email on my phone. So this is a long time ago. And I'm kind of resistant to new technology. So I get home. And I'm always so disorganized. I never had sent my publisher 
a lyric sheet of this song. Like, you know, I never had emailed them lyrics. So it's a woman who's, I'm so appreciative of getting like so many opportunities for me named Katie Wolliver, um, who's now working with a different publisher, but she emailed me and she said, Brittany's cutting the song right now. We're not sure of the lyric, but I've transcribed it. And is this what it is? I have never typed out an actual lyric faster in my entire life. And I couldn't believe that while I was having this glorious time with my daughter playing in Amy's playground in Pasadena, this decision is getting made. This session is starting to happen. And they don't have oh my goodness. Katie had done a really good job, but I am terrible at enunciating. So a lot of the lines were wrong or the opposite of what I said. So I sent them a correct version, but there's still, I think, one thing on there that was mistakenly recorded that's actually different. Um, this is exclusive? This is an exclusive? supposed to go, um, up till now I thought I knew love. It's nothing but losing and damage cause. But she sang, it's nothing to lose. And it's just such a small thing. I don't know if you remember that part of the song. It's like one of the verses. Nothing about you is typical. Nothing about you is predictable. You got me all twisted and confused. So up till now I thought I knew love. Nothing to lose and it's damaged cause. But um it doesn't really make that much of a difference, but it goes to show you that if you really want your accurate lyrics to be out there, well, you got to be organized. <laughs> well, and it, it cracks me up because it's like, I, there was something I was like, is is there pineapple in this song? Like it's <laughs> stuff where you're just like, wait, what? Anything I'm singing, it's gonna probably sound like pineapple if my vocal is there anywhere. <laughs> oh, I love it. So. Um, yeah. For the listeners, have no fear. We'll, we will have more with the scary lady, the unusual you lady, the stick with shoe lady, the Spanish speaking lady teacher, uh, the librarian, all of these in the next episode. So thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, James. <laughs> oh, oh my God. No, thank you. Thank you for, for doing this. And, and thank you for helping out because for those listeners, it's the first time. For all the questions that Cassia has answered, we're going to get items donated um, to the different charities that we work with. We're doing journals, pens, pencils, uh, libretto sheets, music sheets, things that people can express themselves, especially young kids, kids at domestic abuse shelters kids that have no outlets to express themselves. So thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. Thank you, James, for your hard work to help people out. Oh, I love it. I love this. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Original Doll Podcast with me, your host, James Rodriguez Horton. And have no fear, next week we will have more with Casey uh, talking about more Britney Spears songs that she's written, as well as other hit songs that she's made for some big recording artists. So we hope you enjoy once again, don't forget, reach out to me, Twitter, at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z, Instagram, the.original.doll, or old school with the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. Special shout out to Darby out there, just had some, some surgery, acupuncture things going on, so sending positive vibes that way. Shout out to Denise out in the Ukraine, Linda out in Tokyo. Sarah out in South Africa, Lamar in Dubai, and so many more people. So thank you so much. Don't forget to like, subscribe, reach out to us, share it. Let us know what you thought of Unusual You if you hadn't heard it yet. And until next time, see you on the flip side. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stay and then fight?